The word of the Lord from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to the two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever, our God. Thank you, Bill. You may be seated. Church, we have a special treat this morning. I want to invite my friend, Dr. Reverend Doug Logan. How do you introduce uh, Doug Logan? Well, I could tell you that he is one of the executives in the Acts 29 network where he oversees um, the church in hard places, urban church planting. I could tell you that he is the president of Grimke Seminary, uh, but perhaps a better way to know him would be that he is married, has three Christian sons and three Christian grandchildren who he loves very much. And uh, even since he's arrived yesterday, he's gotten a handful more girls, teenage girls too, that, who love him very much. Amen. Um, brother, can I pray for you? Please. And then I'll get off the stage. Hold on one second. You, right. got my, you got me jacked up. <laughs> you would. See, he was on the island so long, he didn't remember. See, we, we met in Puerto Rico. We met in Puerto Rico. All right, let me pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for, Doug, thank you for his ministry. Thank you that he cares for the least of these. Thank you that he loves me and my family. Yeah. Thank you for uh, his love for Denver and Denver Prez. Lord, would you be with him and surprise him with joy as he brings your word to us? And uh, Lord, we pray for our own hearts that your spirit would soften our hearts, open the eyes, illumine this sacred scripture, that we would know you and love you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank right. you, Pastor. Don't mess this up, please. I, I'm, I got it. I got it. I got it. My Uber, my Uber app is ready to get up out of here if there's a problem. Well, first, um, man, it is so good to be here. I love Ronnie Garcia. Um, I was introduced through a good friend of mine. We call him B. Lee, Bryant Lee, out in Texas. I was just in Puerto Rico three weeks ago with um, many of the folk that Ronnie, um, Pastor Ronnie poured into and had a good time with them crazy jokers out there. And then we were back together at SRC when the, um, that whole band of um, Presbyterian Puerto Ricans, that sounds like an oxymoron, um, came 
into um, to Spanish River, and we got to hang out with them there. So it is my honor and privilege to open up on Palm Sunday. Um, yeah, and I'm just looking forward to digging into the text, talking some junk. But before I do, I want to thank everybody who came out. Last night we had a little um, bootleg party, and I was making sure nobody drank too much. You know, I was checking glasses, and um, they're not laughing. They think I'm nuts. And um, well, we have a few. Nobody knows how to do birthdays at the church, so I can't get in trouble. So Ronnie's birthday, he's 44 years old. Can we give the Lord praise for Pastor Ronnie for his birthday? Amen, amen. And Amanda's birthday is going to be 413, amen. Come on, y'all, this is first lady of the church. They ain't heard, they ain't heard that neither. And Nancy Nelson's birthday, 410, April 10th, amen. Where's, where Miss Nancy at? She back there. Amen. 25 again. Amen. <laughs> so, man, we just love you guys. Happy birthday. Denver Prez, make sure you make sure you get them something nice. Slip it into them. Gift cards on Amazon. I'll say it's my birthday if you're doing that, and you can send it to me as well. Well, let's jump into this text. This, this week is so vital and important on our Christian liturgical calendar and in the reality of the biblical text this Palm Sunday. And I'm from the old traditional black church and um, I asked one of my bootleg nieces here, where's the palms? And she says, we, we don't do that here in Denver. So I would have walked into a host of palms and the kids would have had turned them into crosses and stuff. And that nostalgia, okay, I like it, I like it. And so that nostalgia would have warmed me up. So let's, the passage has been read. Pastor Ronnie has offered prayer. Let me jump into the text. The title of my sermon is The Ride of the King. The Ride of the King. So at this point, Jesus has employed what he, what has come to be called the messianic secret throughout the book of Mark up until this point. He has been instructing many people that he had healed and performed miracles in front of not to tell anyone about his identity, this messianic secret. So when Jesus essentially acts out of the prophecy of Zechariah 9, which we'll get into in a second, but here, let me footnote Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9 is where the humble and righteous messianic king comes to Jerusalem that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He would come riding in on a donkey. He is proclaiming that something new and radical is about to happen. That radical thing is Jesus' triumphal entry that we've learned to call that, is triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Luke transports us back to a time, um, to the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And what a week it was. Traditionally, and from other gospel accounts, Matthew and all of them refer to this, of course, as Palm Sunday. See, Here's a problem with palms, is that they don't live long once you cut the branches from the tree. And the problem with Palm Sunday is that the excitement of the crowd soon faded, much like the palms. So when Good Friday rolled around, many of the same voices who shouted Hosanna were also shouting crucify him, which you guys will get into next week. 
Their love for the Lord was based entirely on their hope of what he could do for them in many ways. Mark is zooming us into Christ's lordship. He would enter the city on his terms with authority and in his father, um, in his father set up long ago as recorded and declared throughout the history of the prophets, the preachers, and the Psalms. In this triumphal entry, we must remember that Jesus is not traveling the road of revolution. He is traveling the road of receiving God's wrath on behalf of sinners. Simply put, he's traveling a road to Calvary's cross. Along the way, several things happen. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem that Sunday morning, the disciples are joyous, the crowd is energized, and the shouts of Hosanna ring out as he rides slowly and carefully through the crowds. These are the crowds longing for freedom. The residents of Jerusalem and Jews from all over who have arrived from the Passover, hungry, hunger and thirst for freedom. My first idea as we begin to walk out this triumphal entry, this prophetic reality of the Mashiach from Zechariah 9 and multiple passages, this long-awaited moment, unraveling, unfolding the messianic secret and putting it on full blast to all of Jerusalem. My first idea is the preparation for the king the preparation for the king. So Jesus and the 12 are traveling, and he and his disciples get near Bethpage and Bethany. Those cities are located east of Jerusalem. Not exactly, we don't exactly know exactly where that was, but it's okay. It was right near Jerusalem. It was the first Palm Sunday. Jesus would enter Jerusalem to overjoyed, spontaneous praise. Yet within a mere week, Jerusalem would ring with, cry, with cries of crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus instructs two disciples. Jesus gives specific instructions to get a horse never ridden before. The colt and the donkey would be tied up. The folk may ask you a question about why are you trying to steal this donkey? And he tells them to tell them the Lord has need of it. See, we often blow past that, and I don't want to blow past it. Let me park here for a second. I want you to notice the sovereignty of God here. I want you to notice the meticulous nature of our King and God who has, who has been setting this up before the foundation of the world. The, he sets up the beast's location, its tied up state, its unwritten history, and how to secure and procure it. See, there's a veiled reference here to Genesis 49, 11, and 12 in Zechariah 9, which I'll read in a second, in this motif. And a little help from Luke 19.35, where it's synoptically connected to understanding the special reality of this animal. But I just want you to notice that it continues to show Christ's humility here. Why? See, many say everybody knew exactly what was going on. I don't know, but clearly we see, as we look back to the prophecy of the Messiah riding on a donkey from the Old Testament, somebody knew, and clearly God and Jesus knew. Verse 9, Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So now what you need to see in this entering in is this, this eschatological aligning, this, 
this messianic aligning, eschatological, this end time aligning, the triggers of the long awaited Mashiach has been, is upon us. Prophecy is being jumped off and being fulfilled. So Jesus in person, in power, in presence is the fulfillment of God's perfect plan to redeem the fallen race. It was not all glam and bling, but God is a meticulous God that works all things out perfectly. He's not just big picture, but God is in the details. The point I see is we don't need to know everything to obey Jesus. Everybody, if you check commentators about this, they want to argue if, if Jesus set up to pick up the colt and if the colt was going to be this and had he done it beforehand, I don't care. Doggone it. I'm not going to hell because of what Jesus did. He's saved from the uttermost, and he's meticulous. So when you hear meticulous, if you're in Christ in this room, God meticulously orchestrated atoms and earth to get to you. He orchestrated and moved things around meticulously, knowing every step you would take and how to get his godly, loving, gracious hands on you. I don't worry about all that arguing about the details. You know what I know? I am in Christ, and no man can pluck me from his hand, and Jesus is my king, and heaven will be my home. And before I go to heaven, I'm going to tell everybody about the meticulous God who saved from the uttermost. He loves the least, the last, and the lost. He breaks through doors. He tears down stuff to make sure he can get to people who are running from him. The meticulous nature of our God is worthy of praise. He's not a general God. He doesn't put out a corny sign. No, he's working. See, God can see a black ant on a black hill on a black night. He knows the weight of your tears. He can hear your tears during an earthquake hit the ground. He's meticulous. He's meticulous. He's got a plan. So simply put, the king requested the donkey he made. It was his donkey. He made all things. Did he prearrange? I don't care. He is God who knows everything. The donkey was made for Jesus by Jesus, period. He was simply reclaiming his stuff. Jesus has the right to claim everything for his purpose and his perfect plan. These folks were ready to serve the king. Let me do a ghetto pause. Can you steal that water for me right there, nephew? Thank you so much. He was ducking me yesterday. He wasn't at the party. I'll put it there. So how does this process out for us? Let's be clear, as he claimed the donkey that he created, Jesus has the right to claim everything for his purpose and perfect plan. When the Lord calls you to serve him, will you hold on to your time, your talents, and your treasures? Or will you freely give them? Will you release all that you have to the Lord Jesus? Will you cling to stuff and convenience and comfort or will you, when the Lord uses the Holy Spirit to speak to you, will you give up yourself, your stuff, for the use of the king? Denver Prez, I'll scream, give it all up. He is worthy of you emptying all things for him. 
it's already his stuff. See, and this is likened to for everybody. See, sometimes this text can feel preachy in that it's for preachers. No. When I think about the NBA, I'm an NBA fan, Sixers fan, Joel Embiid is going to win the MVP, not that weird dude here that spells his name funny in Denver. When you play in the NBA, there's a bunch of names you don't know. We know Jokic, we know Embiid, we know Kevin Durant, but there's some no-name dudes on the end of benches who are there, and they practice hard every practice, and they come out to warm-ups. Maybe they never get in the game ever, and they practice hard, they work hard, they do all that. You know why? Because when the coach calls them up, Especially, and let this season remind you of COVID. During COVID, there was jokers who hadn't played or seen the court ever. But when their number got called, they needed to be ready to get into the game. Denver Press, you may not be a preacher. You may not be a worship leader, but you are in Christ God's stuff. So when he calls you to go hard in the game, Jump in the game. Give everything for his glory. My second idea, my second idea, the first one was the preparation for the king. The second one, which I have two parts, is the celebration of the king. The celebration of the king. And I'm in verse 8. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and the others spread leafy branches cut off from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one coming in the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest in the heavens. I'll stop there. See, the crowds in Jerusalem have swelled. They, they're growing. Crowds um, crowding the streets in Jerusalem as pilgrims and residents of the city prepare for the feast of the Passover, the most memorable feast in the history of the Jewish people. So the crowds, the crowds prepare as Passover for the celebration of the king. The crowds prepare his path. What do they do? They spread their cloaks on the road. So the animal's role now becomes clear. The disciples bring the donkey to Jesus and place their clothes on it like a saddle. So God prepares the ride. This beckons back to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. This king-like king in king-like fashion, God prepares the rider. He does the ride and the rider. 1 Kings 133, this is this holy endorsement that he is king. God prepares the picture and the perspective. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt and on a foal of a donkey. He prepares the picture and the perspective. And, God, and, and then there's also God's prepared path. Spread their garments on the road and cut palms. One theologian, A. Marshall, says this, they are giving Jesus the red carpet treatment, an act intended to note a dignitary's presence. That's what I want you to see. This is big time. This is the red carpet. 
And so the colt is brought to Jesus. The disciples create a makeshift saddle, layering their, clo- their cloaks on the colt's back. And Jesus rides his colt into Jerusalem. So the world's view of a king was different. The world sees a king's regalia and royal swag as his power and position. Earthly kings sit high in their kingdom and in their society and in all the best places. First class all the way, five star all the way. But Jesus disrupts their ideas of a king as he sits on this simple donkey. And I want you to notice, not a stallion. Not with entourage. Swagless, if you will. But there was some swag, but it was eternal swag. And eternal swag is not swag. When you talk about Jesus, you're not bragging. Because it's only bragging when you're lying. So when you talk about the goodness of Jesus, that's not bragging. That's just telling the truth. So Jesus humbly rolls in on this donkey. See, the church must take the same posture in this culture. We come in coach style, laid back, but going hard for the lost because of what God has done and what God has placed inside of his people and what God has placed inside of his church, the Holy Ghost. So we have the eternal swag of the eternal God driving us, using us for his purpose, whether it's on a bike, whether it's on a bike, on a Buick or on some boots, we need to walk humbly before our king that we might see any and all come to know Jesus in Denver. We need to give the devil a fit in Denver. We need to, Denver, Christians need to be known as the MVP. The MVP race shouldn't be the biggest race. It should be Jesus is the constant MVP. And we have to exclaim him, live him, teach him, preach him, and show him off in a broken culture that specializes in swag, that we walk in humbly, loving the least, the last, and the lost. We've got the answers to the problems of Denver, of the rest of the world. Our Bible fixes all racial wars and fights. Our Bible fixes matters of justice. Our Bible fixes this conversation about diversity. This Bible fixes how we address the poor. It's all here in the text. And if if it's in the text and the Holy Ghost is in you, well, then you are the walking epistle that sets the temperature in Denver, not the snow. So on a bike, a Buick, or some boots, walk humbly before our king. Tim Keller, great pastor in New York, says this, Jesus brought together majesty and meekness in this triumphal entry. Second part of my second point. So remember, we're at the celebration of the king. The first part was the crowds prepare his path. The second part is the clouds, the crowds proclaim his praise. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem that morning. The crowds that sing and shout and follow him hope for freedom. I, I, I really want you to get this piece. Roman rule has been in. Oppression has been there. There was no elections. You couldn't elect a, a king. You, you were under the, the rule of the standing government, which was Rome, who wasn't Christian, didn't like Christians. And then there was infighting between the the Sanhedrin, the priest, and what they call the witch doctor in this Jesus. 
So there was constant fighting, infighting, external, internal, theological wars. It was a whole mess. And then there was the whole group of these marginalized people, hungry and starving, hearing about this healer because they had no Obamacare. Therefore, when they heard about a healer, the crowds would swell so quick because they did not have CVS. And so this place is erupting. And mind you, if you're, if you're Jewish, you've been hearing about this Mashiach that was promised in the Torah by Moses that he was going to come and crush the serpent's head. And then he was going to be a prophet. He was going to be a different kind of prophet. He was going to change hearts. And then if we kept reading in the Old Testament, Jews would have understood. Ezekiel talks about he would come in the, in the power of the Spirit. John Calvin, um, the great reformer writes and talks about the spirit of the church and the spirit of Christ and him using us, him putting the spirit in us that we would come in and disrupt things, that this heart of flesh is going to, this heart of stone is going to turn to a heart of flesh. And this is what was going to happen collectively. But people were falling apart, hungry, wars, rumors of wars, oppression, murder, wrong jailing, police beatings, everything was happening. And the people of God, the children of Israel, they were looking for a liberator. They were looking for a way out, whether they were looking for the Mashiach from the Torah that was going to come save them, or they were looking for a general to come chop some people up and take this thing over violently. I want you to get that, this cry for freedom under this oppression. Jesus shows up. This is a big deal. This is not some cuny, there's some corny branches that we have reduced it to. No, this, all eggs were in this basket. And so the crowds proclaim his praise. So he rides in that morning. The crowds that sing and shout follow him, hoping for freedom. They like that Jesus stands up for their own, that Jesus stands up against their own corrupt political leaders and religious figures. They like that. They like that Jesus, <coughs> they like that Jesus seems to be a man of the people. He eats with sinners. He's the people's champ. He eats with sinners. He talks to prostitutes. Mark eleven nine. 9, they began, let me read that. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. So they began praising God and shouting what we call Halil Psalms. Halil Psalms serve as a tool for zooming God's people into prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Psalm 118 is a Halil Psalm 25 and 26. Look what it says. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And so I want you to get, now this song is a song of freedom. This is a freedom song. They're, they're zooming in to their Hebrew history that they've been learning all their life. Hosanna, Lord, save us. So when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the first day of Passover week, the crowds are looking for someone to rally around, someone to carry the banner of freedom and liberation for God's people. The people were looking for someone to liberate David's city, sit on David's throne, and reclaim David's kingdom, and take it back, and put them back in power, put them back in position that they heard God, that Yahweh had made about them as the people of God. But now, God is moving us forward with, his, with the son of David the one greater than David, the son of man who was prophet, priest, and king, Jesus. His kingdom would have no end. 
2 Samuel 7, 10 through 16 helps us with that. His posture was from Romans 14, 17, from Romans 14, um, yeah, from Romans 14, 17. So Psalm 18 has an allusion to a king leading his people into the temple for worship. The language reminds us of the song of the angels at the birth of Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes. So this Davidic covenant, I will build my house in the name and I will establish my throne forever from Sir Samuel, is what would have elicited in the minds of people who are crying and pleading, praying and hoping for liberation and freedom. Hosanna. See, Hosanna is a prayer and a praise um, word that would evoke ideas of vision of God's saving action. Hosanna simply means save us now. Genesis 14.10 zooms us closer and ties us in deeper into this picture of Hosanna. It says the scepter won't depart from Judah. They were looking for a forever hero. This scepter was the position of authority and power, and it would stay in the kingly line. Jesus from the crown was from the line of Judah, and so therefore this king was coming, riding on the donkey. We've been waiting for him. He's coming to save us. He's about to cut some folk up and take over this joint. But then he does the Hallel song to say, no, I'm taking you into worship not into war. I'm going to war for you so that you can worship as I fight the battle that you could never win because you are not God. And I love that he says in the highest, you who dwell in the highest position in the universe. That's what that word means in the highest. You who dwell in the highest position in the universe. That's who they were counting on to deliver them. They are calling for a new era of salvation. They want God to turn up. They feel like God has been tapped out. They want him to turn up. They want the trumpets to start blowing. They want these oppressive, evil Romans out of here. But notice the kings in these times would ride in on a stallion with a regal procession. He rode a donkey with a raggedy saddle. Humility. What a humble king. It should have been a tricked-out Ferrari, limousine with tinted windows, with rims and a loud system, and an angelic chauffeur driving him because he is the king of the universe. But nah, he was happy on a donkey so that you could ride in the limousine of his grace from your sinful place all the way to glory through him. Our king doesn't mind the low road at all of sacrificial death so we can take the heaven road to eternal life through faith in his finished work on the cross. See, Jesus rides into our lives humbly still today. He does not overthrow us with violent force, but with irresistible grace. He is the divine initiator of salvation. He is the one that swoons us with love. He demands we repent and provides a way for us to walk in his word and in his way and in worship of him. Denver Press, we need to just ride with King Jesus. 
Let him drive us. The victory ride over your sin. He gives you the victory ride over your insecurities. He gives you a ride over and through your pain, your hurts, and your fears. Not like me. If I drive, I can't promise you we're going to even make it back to Pastor Ronnie's house safe. But with Jesus sovereignly on the wheel, you can lay back and enjoy the ride. You will be safe even if we crash in Christ. But let me challenge you for those in Christ. Keep your little grubby hands off the steering wheel. Let him drive you out of your bondage and into victory in Christ. Because of your sin against him, it is impossible for you to drive out of eternal separation from God. But he can pick you up and, and drive you out of there by his grace, through his atoning work on the cross. You can't drive yourself. That's why Jesus had to die. You can't fix it. Your works ain't going to work. They're never good enough. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, well then... Good person, out. I can fix it, out. I think I'm spiritual, out. We love you. We're glad you're here. But the only way to enjoy this ride is when Jesus is driving and you are simply a passenger. No, when you're a son, a daughter. He brings us out of the road we could never ride. That's why the cross, he goes to the cross to die the death we should have died. He lived the life perfectly that we should have lived. And he rose from a grave we could have never overcome. And then he swings low. Sweet chariot. Come on forth and carry me home. What a savior. When Jesus is your chauffeur, what a ride that is. What a ride that is. He used a donkey to display his humility and receive glory. Let him use you. We can be donkeys sometimes. Creation testifies of him naturally, and we can glorify him volitionally. Jesus did not come as a pilgrim on a pilgrimage or a worshiper, but a sovereign Lord. Inspecting the premises, making sure that this place is the place he designed to point people to himself. The Father sent Jesus on this humble ride to die a criminal's death. Let me show you this last thing and I'm going to land the plane. Look at this crazy reality. Let me theologically nerd out for a second. So in 586 B.C., Ezekiel saw the glory of God leave the temple. If I was to walk you back into Ezekiel's 36 to 45, Ezekiel 10, 18, and then go out of Bethany. But Jesus shows up in the Messianic king-like fashion. So Hebrews 1, 3 says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high. So Jesus rolls back into town of Bethany and steps into the temple. In 586 BC, the glory left the temple. Jesus fulfills the temple with his person, the very presence of the living God. That's it. The ending is quiet. But it's the quiet before the storm. Look what it says. After looking, he went into Jerusalem and into the temple. That Ichabod that happened in Ezekiel when the glory left. 
in steps the embodiment of the glory of God back in. Then it ends like a bad Netflix film, kind of. After looking around and everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. That's just the end of my text. That's not the end of the story. It's the quiet before the storm. Pastor Ronnie is going to preach the storm that those who stand in Christ will be able to stand. Closing and landing, are you eager to give God praise? The crowds who had seen Jesus' ministry, his miracles, heard his teachings, even partially understood what he was saying. Their lives were touched, maybe by the miracles he did, or maybe by the words he had spoken. Whatever the cause, they were eager to speak and cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. My question is, what song are you singing about him? What song are you singing? Are you screaming, Hosanna, save us now? Are you screaming, blessed is he? Or are you struggling with your life in Christ? I want to call you to repentance and faith yet again. That's the beauty of the gospel, right? It's for the lost and the found. But listen, it's heartfelt words that are the confession, not the palm branches. We like to focus on the palm branches because they feel worshipful. But the true worship is the confession of one's heart. When we confess Christ as Lord, we are acknowledging him and we are placing our hope, our future, our security, our salvation on Christ alone. The ride of the king. I pray if you're here, you ask him to ride right into your heart and life and change you forever. Father, thank you. Bless us as we continue in worship. We so want to celebrate you. Um, let these songs we sing as we continue in worship um, land in a place that screams and sings with the vigor of Hosanna, save us now. Let the songs... Um, create in us new hearts. Let these words that we shout out and scream a little bit um, remind us of the hope we have in Christ over our bad weeks, over our bad days, over our issues, over all these things. So God, would you continue to work in Denver prayers? Lord, we're praying that you would use Denver prayers to give the devil a fit in this city. We're praying, God, that you would give us good problems, good problems like we run out of seats, good problems like we have to baptize all the time, good problems like we plant so many churches we don't know what to do with. So, God, would you bless and keep us and use us even now. And, Lord, for anyone here under my weak voice, I pray that if they don't know you, that um, this supper, this beautiful communion would remind them that there was a Jesus who died and gave up his body and poured out his blood that they might be saved. So Jesus, if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would pull and grab hold to their heart, dis disrupt their day, that they would scream, what, what, what must I do to be saved? And God, and make Denver Prez that home, that family, that house where they can dwell, hang, and party with as they learn of you and grow in you. So Father, be glorified even now as we make ready for our week of worship. We can't wait to 
to rock out for Easter and remember your resurrection. So be with us now as we continue. In Christ's name, amen.